Amen. Amen. Good morning to all of you. And good morning to all of you who are watching live stream our services this morning, not only from all over the country, but from all over the world. We are glad that you're joining us this morning. We are continuing our worship series through the book of Job. And I want to divide the message this morning into three parts. I want to first sort of do a quick review about how did we get to where we are in the book of Job and in the story of his life, and then where are we today in the book of Job or the story of Job, and then where does God want to move us today uh, in response to what he is saying to us out of Job's life and story. Before we begin, I want to ask each of you a question that I would like you to be thinking about and considering and pondering. How do you define life? Do you define life by the power or the ability to be able to take control? Or do you define life by following the one who is in control? Two completely different ways of living. And if I had to say there's one word that this whole message today is about, it's that seven-letter word, control. So we're going to talk about that this morning. But before we do, let's go back and let's be reminded about how did we get to where we are now in the book of Job, the story of Job. Let's remember three things about Job. First of all, the spirit of Job. As you come to the very beginning of the book, we are told that Job is an exceptional follower of God. He is noteworthy. Uh, he is rare. He is someone who loves God, who worships God, who has devoted his life to following God and to serving God. So there's no question where Job is as far as his spirit goes. In fact, it's not other human beings who are saying this even about Job. God is saying this about Job. In fact, even throughout the Bible, God makes sure that we understand what he thought of his servant Job. I pointed out on Wednesday night that in the book of Ezekiel, through the prophet Ezekiel, that God basically elevates Job on the same level of spirituality with Daniel and with Noah. And so Job is very significant uh, as far as his spirit goes, as far as his heart of worship goes. But as we saw way back a few weeks ago in week one of our series, the heart of worship is going to be tested in our life. There's going to be things that come into our life or that we have to navigate in life or trials and pain and suffering that's going to test our heart of worship because that's what sort of started this whole thing to begin with, right? Satan challenges God, basically, and challenged the heart of Job's worship. He says, well, no wonder Job worships you, God. He said, you put a hedge of protection around him. You blessed the work of his hands. You know, you basically bribed him to worship you. If you take your hand off of him, if you allow things to begin to happen to him, he will curse you to your face and he'll walk away from you and not look back because his worship of you is conditional. 
He doesn't just worship you because he loves you, God, and because he appreciates you and because you are of greatest value and worth to him. No, he worships you because of what you do for him. You're like this cosmic Santa Claus up there, or genie that he goes to and gets everything he wants, but you stop being that to him, and he'll walk away. That's something you and I have had to walk through. Why do we worship God? Do we worship God because he does all the things we want him to do, and, and as long as he does all the things we want him to do, and our life goes the way we want it to, then we're good, but as soon as God allows something into our life or does something into our life that maybe, you know, twists us a little bit, then sorry, God, we're checking out. So we, you know, talked about that. And then that brings us to the suffering of God or to the suffering of Job that God allowed. He said, okay, I accept your challenge. You know, you can do anything you want to Job, just don't touch him. And so we saw there at the very beginning that Job, who was one of the richest, wealthiest, greatest men in his area of the world at that time, he lost everything in one day. All of his material wealth, all of that he had physically, gone, taken from him in one day. How would you and I feel if everything we had, all of our stuff, all of our material possessions, all of our wealth, all of our bank account, our IRA, our it was all just wiped out and gone in one day. That's Job. That's where he's at. But it doesn't end there. His suffering continues. We also realize that all 10 of his children, yes, 10 children were wiped out and died in one day. And Job has to absorb this. I mean, obviously, the man's in shock, first of all, he and his wife. And then he, he's got to start trying to process through the loss that he's experienced. Not just material and physical loss, but now the loss of his own children. And he's broken. And he's in pain. And he's not okay. And we've talked about the fact that it's okay not to be okay. That there are times in life where the things that we experience, you know, we, we just... We're hurting. It's okay. As long as through that, we hold on to God. Because that's what we've seen throughout this book. That, that's what Job did that helped him get through eventually all that he experienced was that even when he began to question God and ask why and struggle with God, he still was always holding on to God. So we've talked about the spirit of Job. We've talked about the suffering of Job. Let's get to the struggle of Job for just a moment, too. Because that was Job's biggest thing that he had to deal with. Even more than the suffering. And it was horrific suffering that Job has experienced up to this point. His biggest struggle was between him and God. Because he understands, as a God worshiper, that God is in control. And so he understands that everything that's happened to him had to pass through the hands of God to get to him. He understands that. That's part of why he's struggling so much is, God, why? It's not like I'm a bad, terrible person even. You know, Job's like, where's this all coming from? God, why are you punishing me? What have I done to deserve this? And so he begins to pour out his heart to God, and, and he begins to ask God, why, why, why? And 
he doesn't even get an answer. For many days and maybe even many weeks, God is silent. And Job continues to struggle. It's like, he's like, God, just speak into my anguish and give me some kind of reasoning, some kind of logic, some kind of understanding into what I'm experiencing because I just don't understand. Well, if you get here early and if you've been with me through the series, you've seen a little tagline that I have used as sort of the summary statement of our series, and that is that a God who is small enough to be understood is not big enough to be worshipped. You see, what we learn and what Job had to learn throughout his life and even his pain and his suffering and his trials is that there are going to be things that happen around us and happen to us that we don't understand. And how we've got to get to a place, if we're going to develop a true heart of worship for God, that we are willing and able to follow a God that we don't always understand. If you and I, as finite human beings, can somehow put God in our little box and we can figure God out and we can understand the ways of God, then he's not a very big God. And so we move to where we were last week. And that is that God finally speaks into Job's life and into his anguish. And God begins to reveal himself to Job in a greater way. God never answers all the why questions. Because what we have learned is that knowing God is more important than knowing why. And that even there are times where if God did answer the why questions that we have, we couldn't comprehend it anyway because the ways of God many times are incomprehensible to us finite human beings. All we see is our little slice of life or what we can see sort of as the iceberg above the water. Only God can take in all contingencies and all things in his universe and sees how everything relates to everything else. As we said last week, what God did was he basically said, Job, you have to begin to understand that I'm greater than you could ever conceive me to be. And so God begins to ask Job questions. 50 of them that we saw last week about how the universe came into being and how God was running the universe and basically says to Job or says to any of us as human beings, can you answer any of these questions? Can you tell me about the foundations of the earth and about the parameters of the universe and how the stars were flung into space and all of this? That's why we sang the, some of the songs we sang today. Can you run the universe? Can you take care of the inanimate and animate creation that I do every day? As we said last week, God even says, do you go to bed at night as a human being worried and fretting over the fact that the sun might not come up tomorrow? I don't know about you, but I've never done that. Even before I became a follower of God, I didn't go to bed at night going, oh, God, I hope the sun comes up tomorrow. No. Why? Why do we not do that? because we're just used to God doing what God does. <laughs> even if you don't recognize it, even if you don't acknowledge him, even if you don't believe, God still does what he does. 
And so Job is just sort of blown away by the magnitude of God. God is master over the universe that he created, over its vastness, over its complexity, over its intricacy, from the smallest, minute, microscopic animal that God created to the largest creatures that God ever created. God is over it all. And so, beginning in chapter 40, Job just puts his hand over his mouth and says, God, I am way out of my league. I need to learn to trust you that if you care for all of the universe that you created, you can take care of me. And I might not understand all of your ways or why you allow the things that you do or do the things that you do, but I've got to learn to trust you. A God who is small enough to understand is not big enough to be worshipped. God and our view of God and our concept of God has got to continue to increase. Though we will never be able as human beings to wrap our minds totally around God, that should be okay with us. That actually should be a comfort and an encouragement to us knowing that God is beyond our grasp, that he's so great we could never totally understand God or his ways. That actually makes me feel better because I know then that that great God has you and I in his hands and he can take care of us and we need to trust him to do so. So here's where we are today. Today in chapters 40 and 41 of Job, God spends 44 of the 58 verses of those two chapters describing two creatures that God created. Two what I believe are dinosaurs that one time lived on the earth. One is named in the book of Job chapter 40, Behemoth. I believe it is the largest land dinosaur that God ever made. In fact, in chapter 40, I believe verse 19, God even says, this creature that I made, behemoth, ranks first among the works of God. God said that. I never created something so large, so intimidating, so, you know, fearsome than behemoth. And then in chapter 41, God begins to describe what I believe is the largest marine dinosaur creature that God ever made. He names him Leviathan. And in Leviathan, chapter 41, verse 10, God says, who can stand before this Leviathan? In fact, in verse 33, he says, there is no creature on earth like Leviathan. He has no fear. Now, why? Would you get to the point in the story of, and life of Job where God is revealing himself to Job, why would God spend so much time describing two of the scariest creatures that God ever made? How does that fit into all this? It has to do with control. See, last week it was about trusting God to take care of us and his creation. Today it's about control. Because God is basically saying to Job, Job, can you control behemoth and Leviathan? No. In fact, those two creatures 
They're intimidating. They, they cause terror in people because they're so massive and they're so fierce and they're so just big and, and large and intimidating and all of that. It's like, can't control that. God said, I can. They're just another creation of mine. They don't threaten me at all. I, I can control both of these creatures because they're simply creations that I've made. Yes, to man, they're chaos. To man, they're uncontrollable. To, to man, they can't even conceive of trying to bring something so, so massive under control. But to God, God's got them. And God is saying that to Job to get Job to see that, Job, you're going to find out in life, not just with what you've just went through, but with so many other things, it's out of your control. And Job, you've got two choices to make as every human being does. You can choose as some finite human being not to ever know your place, not to ever realize how small you are, not insignificant. We're significant and of value to God. As Nicole pointed out, through our worship and through her prayer, God loved us enough and valued us enough to die for us. That's pretty significant. But God is simply saying, compared to the universe that I made and compared to me, because I dwarf even what I made, man is very small. Do you know your place, Job? Do you know your place? And Job, there's going to be a lot as you go through life that you cannot control. So are you going to try to take control of things you can't control? And are you going to then just be so frustrated by trying to control everything in your life and everyone around you? Or are you going to learn to follow the one, me, God, who's in control. And learn to trust me and rest in me. That's really our only two choices. In fact, if we don't learn to trust God who's in control, we're going to probably go down one of two paths. The first path is, I am going to try to control everyone and everything around me, okay? I'm going to try to do that. And when we try to control the uncontrollable, oh, and you all know this, you ever tried to control people around you? It doesn't work. In fact, it only usually makes things worse when we try to control people around us you know, get them to do what we want them to do or how we want them to behave. It always results in despair, in disillusionment, and in depression. Because we understand how frustrating it is to try to control things we can't control. Because there's always going to be things that come into our life that we didn't see coming. Because we don't, unlike God, we don't know the future. And as much as we might even try to presume and predict and all of that, we don't know. That's why there's such a 
demand throughout human history that if one doesn't believe in God, one tries to go to, you know, to those that supposedly know what's coming and, and to try to figure out what the future holds because there's this innate desire that I, I, if, I, if I don't trust the God who's in control and don't believe that there's a God greater than me who's in control of it all, then I've got to try to do this. Otherwise, I'm driving myself crazy. And you and I all know there are Examples in our life where something came out of left field and just totally changed our life completely or maybe the lives of others that we didn't see coming. We, we can either trust God in that moment that God, you're in control of this and you have a plan and you have a purpose and you know what you're doing or everything just random and chaotic and I don't know how to deal with it. So the one path is to try to be in control even though we're really not in control. The other path is knowing that we're not in control of so many things. There's no way, no matter how diligent or how intelligent, we cannot as human beings come up with every answer to every contingency of every situation and all of that. We can't be every place at one time. We just can't do it, right? So then there's the other path of, then I feel exposed, I feel vulnerable, I feel insecure in a world that is so out of control, which leads to people living in fear, living with anxiety all the time, and living in hopelessness. And when you begin to think about that, that if I as a human being don't get to a place in my life where I believe that God is in control and that I can trust him and rest in him and I have to choose one of those other paths, that's when it gets ugly, doesn't it? That's why we live in a world today of high, high addiction, of self-destructive coping mechanisms, people destroying themselves and everyone around them because they don't know how to navigate or deal with life that is out of control and they're not trusting in a God who's in control yet. Or they feel very vulnerable and exposed and insecure in that kind of a world or that kind of life. That's why, and I've shared this with you before, suicide is an all-time high. Why is that? Because people feel out of control today. And they feel as they look around at their life and the world and our country and the way things are going, like everything is chaotic. And to a degree, you're right. But unless I believe that there's a God who ultimately has a plan and purpose, not only for this world, but coming right down then to where the rubber meets the road, my life and your life, then it's really a struggle. That's why God spent the majority of these two chapters describing these two scary creatures that God made. He's basically saying to Job, I, God, control 
everything in my universe. Now, a couple things. That doesn't mean that you and I do not have free will or choice. No, see, God's so great that God can give every human being free will and free choice to choose, but still move his plan forward and his purposes forward. He can work within those boundaries of giving us free will. And it also doesn't mean because God is in control that you and I can be reckless or foolish. No. It means we need to be responsible in our decisions and in our choices. But ultimately what it does mean is that I've got to get to a place where I understand that over it all, over everything that ever happened in my life, that there was a God who had a plan and purpose for either bringing it into my life or allowing it into my life. Now, I'm here to share a little bit of my life story and my testimony this morning with you. And I'm doing that not to tell you that I've always responded the way I should in trusting God who's in control. But through my life story, like your life story, what one of the things God is trying to share with us is, Jeff, you're not in control. And you've got to learn to trust me, even though you don't understand why things are happening. I grew up in a family where my brother and sister died before I was born. My sister died when she was four. My brother died when he was two. My parents were told by the doctors at that point because it was such a rare disease back in the late 50s that they advised my parents not to have any more children because they were afraid my parents would bury a third child. And they did not want to see my parents go through the grief of burying a third child. Even today, this disease claims everybody that has it. It's rare. But now, people usually live into their 20s, but still pass away in their 20s or maybe early 30s. They do not live the normal lifespan. But back in the 50s, children died of it. But my parents, being people of faith, prayed to God, and they believed that God led them to try one more time to have a child. And I say at this point, I thank God that my parents were people of faith or else I wouldn't be here. And I grew up in a home that knew loss, that knew pain, that knew suffering, but I also grew up in a home with parents that kept holding on to God through their pain and suffering. And even though they didn't understand why they lost two children, they somehow knew God had a plan and a purpose for it. I've seen that throughout my life. My life, like your life, has had ups and downs. It's had good times and mountaintop experiences, and it's had valleys, and it's had lows. And yet, through it all, God keeps reminding me, Jeff, I've got a plan, and I've got a purpose, and you need to trust in it. I even think about that standing here before you today that it took a very painful circumstance personally and professionally for me back east to get me and my family to move across the country 
and to think what I would have missed had I not made that move. I would have never met any of you. I would have never known any of you. This church would not exist. And that, that's no credit on my part. That's just me following God. Even through my pain, even not knowing why, not understanding, God, why did you allow this to happen? And now I look at it and I, I wouldn't have wanted to change anything. Even the pain that I went through, I would not change any of it. I would not trade it at all if I knew that that pain brought me to this point where I could stand here at the Oasis today and be your pastor. I wouldn't change a thing. But that's because I had to get to a place where I was willing to trust a God that was in control even when I didn't understand what was going on. That's where God wants to move all of us today. That's why I want to share a couple verses with you today to write down, ponder, think about. There's the verse in Psalm 46, verse 10, where the psalmist says, Be still, recording God's words here, be still and know that I am God. In the Net Bible, it says, stop your striving and know that I'm God, which I like that too. Why? Because the Hebrew word literally means to sink into or relax or rest in. God is saying, don't be like that young child or that baby in its mother's arms that's squirming and fighting and just fighting going down for a nap or going to sleep or just being at rest in its mother's arms. You know how they just, they just won't quiet themselves. They won't rest. They won't, they won't be still. They're just fighting the whole time they're there. God says, no, understand the arms that you are in and just sink into my arms and rest and relax and understand I've got you. Know that I'm God and I'm in control and that I love you and that I have a plan and purpose for your life that's good and that, that's perfect and it fits you. And you don't need to fight me. Just stop your striving. Rest. Rest. And when we learn to internally rest in God, then we can externally rest in God. Then we can lay down all of those self-destructive coping mechanisms and we can lay down our fear and our anxiety and our insecurity and our despair and our disillusionment and our depression, all that. We can, we can release all that if we just learn to rest in the arms of God. Two other verses that are very familiar to Christians, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The word trust there means to place complete confidence in the Lord. Lean not unto your own understanding. Literally, don't rest in how you see it. Don't rest in your understanding of it because it's greater and bigger than you could ever wrap your minds around. In all your ways, acknowledge him, God, and he will direct your path. The phrase literally means God will go before you 
and make your pathway through life navigable and manageable. Doesn't mean we won't have pain. Doesn't mean we won't experience suffering. Doesn't mean we won't have trials and tribulation and things to deal with. But that God will go before us and literally cut a path in front of us to where we can navigate it and we can manage it well. Rather than destroying our lives or destroying the lives of those around us where we trust in the Lord. Let me just share a few other things with you this morning. I hope we all can agree on this. None of us were in control of when we were born, where we were born, or to whom we were born. You realize that, right? Even when we come into this world, we should realize, you know what? I'm not in control of everything. It was God who chose when each of us were born. It was God who chose where we were born. It is God who chose to whom we were born. And the Bible clearly reveals this. Psalm 139, David says, you, in fact, Nicole referenced this, you are the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. And you did so with a plan and purpose for my life. I'm not here at this particular time in history randomly. God, you chose me to be alive at this time. And you chose me to, to, to be born in this place. And you chose for me a, a particular path and purpose and plan that you had that you designed just for me. Well, I get to a place where I trust the God who created me and designed me with a particular plan or purpose. Or will I just believe that everything's coincidental and random? and that there is no purpose, and that somehow I'm in control of things that I'm really not in control of. And then the psalmist goes on in the very same passage and say, oh, and by the way, all the days of our life on earth have been determined before one of them came into being. In other words, God also is in control of how long of a lifespan we live. That's not up to us. Because let's face it, if we're honest, even as God followers, most of us would choose to live and never die, right? Most of us would go, you know, even those of us who know we're going to heaven, most of us are like, we have this thing about dying. Like, no, I want to keep living. I don't know about you, but the longer I live on earth, the, I want to go to heaven. I, th this earth and this world has nothing to offer me that God already has not taken care of. And you either believe that or you don't. You're not in control of your own destiny. God is. And I can give you example after example from my own life and ministry of that happening. People who thought, oh, I'm going to be around forever. People who planned to do all kinds of things after they retired, and guess what? They never got to retirement age. As a pastor, I preached messages like this on a Sunday, and by the following Sunday, I buried somebody in that service who planned. They never had any idea that that would be the last Sunday they'd ever be in church. And I was doing their funeral on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I remember the great example of, there was this world-famous eye doctor 
who practiced at the Wilmer Eye Clinic. If you know anything about eye surgery, you know the Wilmer Eye Clinic is like worldwide known. People from all over the world come there to have their eyes dealt with. And this surgeon particularly zeroed in on detached retinas. In fact, if you remember the boxer Sugar Ray Leonard, he's the doctor who, who reattached Sugar Ray Leonard's detached retina. Well, he also reattached my father's detached retina. So we got to know this doctor through my father. This doctor was obviously a multimillionaire because he was one of the best in the world and people from all over the world came to him. He had plans for the rest of his life to do all this and retire young and all that. When he was in his early 40s, he dropped dead of a massive heart attack. Left behind a wife and children and all his stuff. It happens because we have to come to understand something. We're not in control, which is why we need to get to a place where because we're not in control, we trust the God who has a plan and purpose who is in control. And it's then that our heart of worship can be solidified and strengthened in God. I don't know what you're dealing with in life right now. I don't know what maybe you're trying to control and wrap your arms around, or maybe you're just feeling very vulnerable and exposed and insecure because of life being so chaotic and out of control. I'm asking you today to consider trusting the Lord who has you in his hands, and his hands love you. His hands are very capable and he's got a particular plan and purpose for your life that couldn't be any better, will you trust him today to not only take care of your life, but also to be in control of your life? Still giving you choices, still letting you have free will, but learning to follow him when things come into your life or happen to you that are out of your control to know that God has some greater purpose and some greater plan that I could maybe understand or be able to perceive at this point in my life, but God, I'm going to trust you in this moment. Would you trust him today? Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I ask today that all of us, Lord, would move where you want us to move, to respond in a, in a way that you want us to respond. Lord, to realize that we're not in control and that we have choices to make of how we navigate life knowing we're not in control. How are we going to do that? You offer us the best path forward, and that is to trust you the one who is ultimately in control. That you have a perfect plan, a perfect purpose, a loving plan, a loving purpose for each one of us, God. And though we may not always be able to understand what happens to us and why it happens and when it happens, God, when we can learn to trust you with all our heart, when we learn to rest in you and stop our striving, God, oh, what a release. The anxiety and the worry and the stress just melt away. 
the insecurity and the vulnerability and the feelings of being exposed and all of that just melt away. And we just learn to sink in and relax into your arms, God, and just let you be God. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be the case today with each of us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.